Father God, thanks so much for giving us this time to uh, study your word. And uh, as we explore what it means and what it doesn't mean to be authentic, I just ask that your Holy Spirit be in our hearts and our mind. And let your voice be the only voice that we hear. Let all other voices and all other chatter just fall by the wayside. Be with us and be with me as I try to teach your word. And uh, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, authenticity is kind of a word that gets tossed around a lot. Would you guys agree? It's not just a Christian word. It's something that we hear a lot out in the world. Everybody's always talking about being authentic and being true to something. Well, I want to start this message by being a little bit authentic with you. Um, when I first became a Christian, I was about 12 years old. And throughout my teens, I would run into other Christians, a lot of them younger, um, you know, same age, age as I am, or as I was. And they always talked about all of these amazing things that God was doing in their life. Like all their dreams were coming true. And a lot of them were talking about ways in which God was supernaturally intervening in their lives. And they weren't really like big, huge deals. It was just like, man, I thought I was going to fail that test, but by the, the grace of God, I was able to, to pass the test. And I thought I was doing something wrong because I never experienced God in those ways. And there was a, I remember I was having a conversation with a friend of mine and she was telling me that, that God had told her that she wasn't supposed to be dating. And I was like, well, God never kind of gives me any kind of messages like that. I've never heard him speak like that in such a plain English way. Was I doing something wrong? Was I not really a Christian? Did I not get it right? And throughout my teens, into my 20s, that, that bitterness that sort of got planted there turned to, to a great deal of anger. And I fell away when I was about 22 uh, for, a, for a season. But as I've gotten older and, I, and I've come back to faith and I've matured as a Christian, I've realized that the issue wasn't that I was getting Christianity wrong. It's just that I had a distorted definition as to what authenticity is. Like I said, many people out in the world are all saying, like, what, what is authenticity? We all believe that authenticity means being true to ourselves, right? i got to be true to me as long as I am... Being true to who I am, as long as like I'm not uh, compromising on my values, the things that I want, the things that I feel like I need, the things that I feel like I deserve, then everything is all right. Everybody out in the world believes that. It's, it's almost like a doctrine that we've all kind of bought into. For, for many of us, authenticity is an, a, a Toby Keith song, right? It's like, I want to talk about me, I want to talk about I, I want to talk about number one, oh my, me, my, what I think, what I like, what I know, what I want, what I see. Everybody's heard that song, right? (laughs) 
there you go. There you go. That's what authenticity is for many of us. What if that's not true? What if that's not what authenticity is? I would suggest that the authenticity that Jesus presents us and he talks about is much more radical and subversive than the authenticity that the world has bought into. Would you guys agree with me about that? Maybe not. Maybe not. But that's what we're going to talk about. Authenticity is one of the values of the village. So how does the village as a church define authenticity? It's right here. We believe that walking the narrow way Jesus calls us to is difficult. And we attempt to be honest about the struggle. We want our community to be unafraid to confess sin and failure. And we want to be sure that people count the cost as they begin their walk with Jesus. We weep with those who mourn. And we rejoice with those who rejoice. We do not sugarcoat the journey. And we spend a good deal of our time dealing with our own sin, as well as the sin of those we have come to love as our sisters and brothers. We strive to display not only the good hearts God has placed in us, but also the residue of the old man that we all still drag around. That's a very big, very weighty definition. I've broken it down into three things. There are three ways that we can live the authentic, Christ-filled, Christ-centered life. And those three ways are, number one, we can learn how to suffer well. Everybody is going to suffer. Especially if you are a Jesus follower. I, I don't want to, I don't want to like give anybody a hard time, but if you walked into the Christian life thinking that somehow being a Christian was going to allow you to escape any future suffering in this life, it's not true. You're going to suffer. So if we have to suffer while we're still here on this earth, maybe we can learn how to suffer well. That's the first pillar. The second pillar is being who God wants us to be. Not being true to myself, it's being true to God. Who does God want me to be? How does He envision my life? And the third pillar is doing what God has called us to do. Most people, most of us will all agree that the Christian life is a life of action. Well, what is it exactly that we're supposed to be doing? So we're going to talk about those things tonight. And we're going to use some scripture from Paul to sort of break it all down. And by the end of this message, I think that you guys will all be excited about living truly authentic lives. So, suffering well. Let's have a happy conversation about suffering, shall we? <laughs> Let's talk about sorrow for a little bit. Seriously, though, it is a part of life, regardless of your faith. Suffering is a part of life. We're all going to lose jobs. We're all going to lose people. We'll have relationships that, that fall apart. We'll get angry at people. Things are not always going to go our way. So what does it mean to suffer well? I think that Paul gives us a really good picture of that in the book of Romans chapter 7. So if you have a Bible, feel free to turn with me to Romans chapter 7. There are Bibles located on the tables all out throughout the church. Or you can pull up a fake Bible on your app, on your phone. 
So Romans uh, chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 14, and we're going to go all the way to verse 25. Paul says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law. But in my sinful nature, I am a slave to the law of sin. The word of the Lord. So suffering well. What are we talking about when we talk about suffering well? Nobody wants to suffer. Nobody. But is there a way that we can do it? Well, let me ask you this. Do you know what the difference is between what I would call worldly sorrow and godly sorrow? Worldly sorrow is, and I had a really, really bad day today. I just, customer after customer was yelling at me. They were just giving me a hard time. My spouse, she just, I got home and she was just nagging at me all day long. All I want to do is just go home and sit down in my easy chair and turn on the television and veg out for four hours watching I don't even know what. It doesn't matter as long as there are pictures on the screen and I don't have to think about anything. Worldly sorrow. So what is godly sorrow? Well, it comes from the same place. Godly godly sorrow might be I had a really, really rough day today. And I'm not getting along really well with my wife. And, you know, I just, I'm having a hard time at work. I don't know how to make it work. I don't know if I can even do this job. I don't even know why I'm here. But I recognize that God, in His wisdom, has allowed me to be in this place at this time. Time. It really it, it it's the same situation, but it's it's a different way of approaching it. It's a different way of interacting with what we're feeling. What is what is the difference between the longings of the spirit and the longings of the flesh? Right, the longings of the flesh, especially when we're dealing with sorrow. What do we want? What do you guys want when you're not when you're having a bad day? What do you want? You want to numb out, right? We want to eat too much. Maybe sometimes we want to drink. 
Maybe sometimes we want to look at some pornography on the computer. There's all sorts of different ways that we can deal with our sorrows. But what does the Spirit want? We're having a really, really rough day. What do we want in our spirit? We want Jesus, right? We want God. We want to press in. We want to be held by Him. We want to be comforted by Him. Suffering well, it's not about venting all of your issues onto whoever is going to be listening, right? That's another thing that we like to do. We like to vent. How many people like to vent? Yeah, a few of us. I've had such a horrible day. Do you want to hear about it? All these things that have happened. Listen to, listen to how horrible my life is. It's just, it's just horrible. I hate it. That's not what suffering well is about. It's not about venting all of our negative feelings about every little thing. But it is being honest about those feelings. Larry Crabb actually talks about this in his book, Encouragement, the Key to Caring. He says that, uh, it says, we're driven by the strong winds of desire. I am persuaded that one of the key culprits responsible for the lack of self-control in our cultural is our cultural emphasis on the desirability of self-expression. Our values revolve around too much around ideas about openness, authenticity, transparency, assertion, fulfillment, and genuineness. And we tend to regard as outdated concepts like sacrificial giving, self-discipline, self-denying love, obedience, and willing endurance. As our energy has been directed more towards expression than restraint, we have suffered a slow, steady erosion of our ability to meaningfully commit ourselves to any direction that runs counter to our urges. For some couples, marriage vows would better reflect their true intent if they were written, rewritten to read, I will love you forever unless my affection declines or unless I don't feel like it. And it's it's sad, but that's kind of the the world that we live in. And and I want to stand up here in front of you guys, my brothers and sisters, and I want to confess that I has have been as guilty of the sin of self-expression as anyone. I have vented. I have been angry, and I have let thoughts and words spew from my mouth and. Uh, I've written things on social media that I shouldn't have, and and I, I may have hurt people in the process of doing it. And it's just, I feel a great deal of godly sorrow about some of the things that I've done in the past. There's a way to express our sorrows in which we're not hurting people, but in which our Father in Heaven is becoming glorified. Augustine, St. Augustine said, the violence which assails good men to test them, to cleanse and purify them, affects the wicked, their condemnation, ruin, and annihilation. Thus the wicked, under pressure of affliction, extricate God and blaspheme. The good, in the same affliction, offer up prayers and praises. This shows that, this, this shows that what matters is the nature of the sufferer, not the nature of the sufferings. Stir a cesspit and a foul stench arises. Stir a perfume and a delightful fragrance ascends. 
But the movement is identical. We're all going to suffer. We're all going to go through things that, let's just be downright honest, are just painful. But there is a different way that we can react to it if we want to live authentic lives. We can suffer well. And we can still praise and give glory to God the Father. For in his wisdom, he has put us in the situation that we're facing. The second way in which we can be authentic is being who God wants us to be. And uh, for that, we're going to, it's a quick little verse in Galatians. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And in this verse, Paul says that I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, uh, for all righteousness could be gained through the law. Christ died for nothing. So, this is a topic that we as Christians, we talk about a lot. Christ lives in me. We've all used that before in conversation, right? It's not I who am living, but it's Christ living in me. Well, what does that mean? What, what is actually happening when, when that happens? Well, in order to explore this subject, I'm going to bring up a couple of pretty weighty theological terms, but I don't want you to be overwhelmed by them, and I'm going to explain them as best as I can. All right, the terms are sanctification and mortification. Oh, no. And the scary stuff, huh? What is sanctification? Sanctification basically is the process of God bringing us into the life that he always intended us to be in. He always intended us to live. Sanctification is God going and, and molding clay. He's molding us slowly but surely over the process of a lifetime into the image that he always had for us. He's molding us into the image that he already sees. Mortification is how we perceive this process as our sin is being put to death. Mortification is not managing sin. It's not trying to make sin look better. It's not like... Oh, I gotta really, really make sure that I don't take a drink of alcohol today. Or I gotta make sure that I don't look at any pornography on the web. Right? It's not trying to make sin our friend. It's not trying to become sin's boss. It's putting it to death. You're, all the time, I've always, I've been told, like, you're trying to manage the very thing that God is trying to kill. God is putting to death your old sinful nature. It doesn't happen overnight. I used to think that it did when I was a young Christian. I, again, you know, when I saw all these, these different people and they were talking about how amazing life was and I was still struggling with the sin patterns that, that I always struggled with, I thought that I was doing something wrong. As I've studied more and as I've got, grown closer to Jesus, I've realized that Sanctification, mortification happens over a lifetime. And I've, I've experienced it in my own life. There are things that I wouldn't even think of doing now 
that even a year or two ago I was still struggling with. It's it's amazing. But it's it's a lifetime experience. And I expect if I get to God you know, God willing, if I live to be eighty years old, there's still gonna be something that'll be like, Oh, I really wish I didn't do that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> John Calvin, John Calvin says, We are not our own. Let not our reason nor our will therefore sway our plans and deeds. We are not our own. Let us therefore not set it as a goal, as our goal, to seek what is expected for us according to the flesh. We are not our own. In so far as we can, let us therefore forget ourselves and all that is ours. Conversely, we are God's. Let us therefore live for Him and die for Him. We are God's. Let His wisdom and will therefore rule all our actions. We are God's. Let all the parts of our life accordingly strive toward Him as our own lawful goal. Amen? So authenticity isn't about being true to myself. It's about putting myself my selfishness, my sin, my shamefulness to death. It's about being put in a fire, a metaphorical fire, and watching all of these old patterns and old habits and old sins just burn off of me. And when that process happens, and as that process happens, we reach the third pillar of authenticity which is doing what God intends us to do. And for that, we will turn to Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. I believe this is one of Eric's favorite verses. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So as Christians, as people who are striving to become authentic Christians, what is it that God has called us to do? Does anybody have any guesses? He has called us to minister, to reach out to each other as a community, to reach out to others who may not have a relationship with Jesus and the community of God. He has asked us to comfort the widows, the mourners, the sick, the orphans. He has asked us to he's asked us to love. Love each other and love the people in the world. 
That should be our goal. Uh, Larry Crabb, in his in his encouragement book, says that everything that we say or do is moving towards a goal. As people, we are teleological beings. That is, we are controlled by our purposes. If we want to change what we are doing, then we must first change what we are trying to accomplish. Broadly speaking, all of our purposes can be sorted into two categories. Either we manipulate for our own self-enhancement or self-protection, or we minister for the glory of God and the well-being of others. The words we say to ourselves, whether we are aware of them or not, reflect and in some senses determine the goals we pursue. So really, being authentic is a choice. If we want to be truly authentic, then we should look for ways to minister to other people, even if we don't feel like it. I think we've all had those moments like, oh man, I just don't feel like listening to this person talk about how hard their day is because, well, I've had kind of a hard day too. It takes discipline to want to minister to people. And, and that's why we're kind of called to be disciples. A disciple is nothing more than a disciplined learner. So as we learn how to suffer well, and as we learn how to become the people that God has intended us to be, then we are freed up to do the work that God has called us to do. And it's pretty awesome when you think about it. It's a pretty amazing opportunity. And it's a lot more radical than anything that the world is offering. I, I've been there. I've, I've seen what they're offering. I've, I've tried it. I've tried my hand at just about everything that they have to offer. And it's not worth it. I mean, at the end of the day, when you, when you, when you get into, involved in those kind of cycles and circles, you just, you just end up feeling pretty horrible about yourself. And, and that just kind of feeds the selfishness, selfishness more and more and more. It's bad. Let me give you a, an illustration as to how this works. Hey, Russ, come here. I want you to come up here. Eric, I want you to come up here. There you go. <laughs> All right. So we're going to have a little fun here. Russ, I want you to stand over here. I want you to stand next to me. And I want you guys to get in as close as you possibly can. Lean in on me. I want you to make me feel as uncomfortable as possible. Because you're autistic. Because, yeah, this is horrible, right? I'm an autistic person. You have no idea how uncomfortable this is. <laughs> now, no matter what, no matter what I do, I want you guys to stay there, okay? Don't, do, don't, don't go away. So... How many of you have felt like you've been in a situation like this before? In between a rock and a hard place. Well, if I wasn't a Christian, what would I do? Well, maybe, but like, what's the first thing that I would do? I would complain, right? I would vent. This is horrible! Why am I here? Why am I stuck between these two people? I may even yell at God. God, are you there? Can you hear me? Are you mad at me? What what the heck, man? Why what did I do to, to make you so mad? Why did you put me here? And then yeah, I might try to fight my way out of it, right? You know, I might try to get away, but if I want to be an authentic Christian, and I and I do, I, I strive for that every day, and it's my prayer that you do too. If I want to be an authentic Christian, come on guys. Get back in there. There we go. There we go. The first thing that I'm gonna do 
He said, I'm going to learn how to suffer well. And I'm going to say, man, this, this, this is horrible. It's uncomfortable. But God, in your infinite wisdom, you've put me here. For whatever reason, you've put me here. And I accept that. And I'm going to be who God wants me to be. And I'm going to say, I'm loved. I am loved by God. No matter what happens, no matter if I can't make my bills or if these guys are just going to stay here forever, I am loved. And, and thank you. Thank you, God, for putting me in this place for a time such as this. And then I can do what God always meant me to do. And I can minister to those around me. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So, what have we learned? Well, the world's definition of authenticity it's just not it's not right. It's not true. And it's it's empty. You can spend your entire life trying to be true to who you think you're supposed to be and at the end of the day you just feel empty, you feel vacant, you feel broken. And I don't think that we were meant to be broken. Would you agree? In fact, I think that Jesus' definition of authenticity is so much more subversive and radical than anything that the world is offering. I mean, seriously, you're going to start doing some of these things in your everyday life. I really hope and pray that you do. And there's going to be people in your life, friends that you work with, or, or there's people that you meet, and they're going to think that you're absolutely nuts. And you'll be like, what are, you, what are you spending all your time like helping other people for? You should go out and have a good time. Go out dancing. Go out drinking. Just worry about yourself before you worry about anybody else. Your family is going to think that you've completely lost your marble. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. So, what are some practical ways that we can become authentic in our lives? Well, I have a few things you guys can do over the next week, and, and, I, and I invite you to do them. So, in order to learn how to suffer well, what I'd like you to do over the next week is keep a journal. You don't have to share it with anybody, but keep a journal about all the ways in which you're suffering right now. It could be big things, it could be little things. And don't worry about whether or not it's godly sorrow or worldly sorrow. Just write it down. Write everything down. And then throughout the week, as you're reading this stuff over, pray to God and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you. Just say, God, out of the stuff that I've listed here, what are the things that you've not called me into? Which of these things are just worldly sorrows that I can just let go of? And which of these are the things that you've called me into and you've invited me into that, that I can that I can reflect on and be thankful for? And the second thing that I want you to do, in order for you to learn how to be the person that God's intended you to be, is I want you to write Galatians 2.20 on a little note card. I want you to put it on the bathroom mirror so that you see it every single morning. And I want you to read it, and I want you to remember that you are God's kid. You've been called to be Jesus to people in this life. Sometimes they may be, you may be the only Jesus that some people see. And that's what God has called you to be. He's called you to be somebody whose sin is being put to death. And then in order to learn how to do things that God intended you to do, I want you to pick three random people. They can be people sitting 
in this church. They can be people that you work with. They can be complete strangers. They can be members of your family. Three people. And do something for them. Listen to them talk. Give them a hug. Pray for them. Buy somebody a meal. If you see somebody who's at the store and they can't afford all their groceries, pick up the tab for whatever it is that they can't afford. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how big or small. Just do something for somebody else, even if you don't feel like it. Especially if you don't feel like it. Hug a friend. Listen to a stranger talk. Pray with somebody while you're with them. Invite them to pray with you. It's like, man, I've seen you struggling. I've seen you've been having a hard time. Let's pray together. You and me, let's pray together right now. And that's really, it's what it is. It's how to be authentic. Thank you guys for listening. How are we doing on time? Do we have time for questions or comments or no? Five minutes. Anybody have any thoughts, pushback, questions? Yep. Samantha? No. <laughs> Anyone else? Go ahead, Amanda. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, speaking about Ruth, uh, if, if, if any of you guys have never read Shattered Dreams by Larry Crabb, please do. I mean, it talks a lot about authenticity and suffering well, and, and I just recommend it. Uh, the whole book of Ruth is just great for that, too. No, my, my wife really loves Ruth. She's kind of based her entire life off of it, and, and it's pretty pretty awesome. So thank you very much for sharing that, Amanda. Anybody else? Oh, go ahead, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. That's awesome. That's really cool. That's cool. Right, guys, let's pray. God, thank you so much that this life is not all about me. Thank you for that. And thank you for giving me so many wonderful reminders that that's true. And, and I, I, again, confess that I have, I have been as guilty as anybody of venting and 
and over-explaining and complaining. And, and, and God, if I've ever hurt anybody, especially anybody in this room, by anything that I've ever said, I, I apologize and I'm sorry about that. And I thank you so much for, for giving me the, the opportunity to learn that that's not the way to be authentic. And I want to be authentically your child. And, and in these, these little, tiny little ways, you're helping me to learn how to do that. And I just, it's my prayer tonight that you, you help everybody who is in this room tonight learn how to be authentically your child. Because in the end, that's really, really what we've been called to be. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.